Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm Dave Smith. I am Jameson Dance. And together we form Soft Skills Engineering. That was the echo. 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 (laughs) (laughs) We're still working on the intro. (laughs) So, uh, Jameson, Mm -hmm. I have a joke for you today. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between soft skills and soft water? Uh, Creepy salespeople will not come to your house to try and get you to buy stuff (laughs) for soft skills. They'll come to your email. Uh, that is correct. I actually didn't have a punchline. I was hoping you had one. Oh, okay, cool. That's serendipity. <laughs> All right. We have a couple of questions from listeners today. Would you like to kick us off with the first one? Yep. I'm looking for a new job. How do I negotiate to get a better offer? Negotiation. I think we also wanted to expand this one to include um, negotiating to just get a raise at your current job too. Yeah. So... So is it about like eye contact, maybe piercing eye contact? A firm grip, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Be tall is important. Um, (laughs) Have you you ever watched the TV show 30 Rock? No. Oh man, they have this corporate guy and he loves negotiating and he sets up the room so that he has the upper hand and he makes the other party sit in this chair that's lower than him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So funny. Yeah, traditionally being a man has also helped. uh, (laughs) Be a man, step one. Be a, be a man over six feet tall. No, yeah. I think um, negotiation is, is to me, pretty scary. It's not a thing that I yeah. love or enjoy. But also, it's really valuable. Um, it's, it's one of the few times in your life that you can just spend five minutes and make, like, thousands more. That's true. That's true. If, if you spend five minutes coding and make, like, you're probably not going to create thousands of dollars of value for yourself. You might... Uh, I don't know, over a few weeks do that, but salary it, negotiations, it's such a compressed amount of time that can benefit you so much. Well, there's, on, there's only two times in my life when I can do that. One is salary negotiation and one, the other one is the craps table at Las Vegas. Yeah, that's... <laughs> in both uh, cases. <laughs> and similar techniques apply, actually. That's right. You blow on the dice. <laughs> is that craps? I don't even know. I'm I not, don't know. Yeah, I'm not probably, a gambler. Yeah, I think so. There's definitely <laughs> dice involved in craps. Okay. Are you, that's not the spinny thing? Oh, that's roulette. No, that's roulette. That's roulette. <laughs> All right. We've 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 shown our naivety. <laughs> Isn't that the name of this show? Yeah. <laughs> Jameson and Dave are naive about how the real <laughs> Let's world rename works. rename the podcast. Yep. So I, I want to start out by saying that it, it is scary for you as the person, as the candidate or the job seeker or the requester of the raise. But you know how when you go in the wild and they say, don't worry, wild animals are just as scared of you as you are of them. Mm-hmm. The person on the other side of the table is probably also a little nervous and maybe a lot nervous, actually. And I can say that from personal experience over the last year. So you're, you're not the only one who's nervous. So you are in good company when you negotiate. Why, why would you be nervous if you are looking to hire someone or well, make an offer? When I want to hire someone, people are not generally lined up. You know, I don't have my pick of 10 people. Like, ooh, I've got 10 excellent candidates and we can choose one of them. You know, like that would be a dream. That never happens in today's market. And so you're just desperately hoping. You've identified a great person and you're desperately hoping that they will say yes when you make them the offer and that they won't be enticed by some other company who's competing for this person. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you know that if they say no, you're going to have to go back to the drawing board, interview more people, and try to find someone else great. And you may not. That's an interesting point that reflects the balance of power. You can often feel like 
the company who is interviewing you has all the power and and mm-hmm. they can just feel free to to do what they will but they've invested a lot in you if you've arrived to the point where you're talking about money mm-hmm. like that means they want to hire you yeah and they're interested in you and like you said that the market is so crazy it's such a a seller's market yeah. that Wait, who's the seller? The, the one seller selling their is, soul? Or the yeah, seller? yeah, the person <laughs> okay. who is looking to to join a company. Got it's it. tilted in their favor incredibly heavily right now. It is. Um, there's actually an article called Salary Negotiation, Make More Money, Be More Valued. And it's got a ton of great tips, but this is one of the points it makes. Like they, they, they're kind of invested in you at this point. So you, you have the ability to just ask for stuff. And mm-hmm. for the most part, according to this article at least, for the most part, um, if you ask for too much, then the worst they're going to do is say no. They're not going to just kill the job offer. Yeah, like they'll back, they'll regress back to a previous point. They won't just say, "All right, this deal's off. You're out of here." Yeah, like unless you ask for like ten million dollars, and then maybe that reflects some uh, <laughs> characteristics that did not come out in the other interviews. <laughs> yeah, turns out this guy's an evil genius who wants to take over the world and wants yeah. me to finance it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but. Uh, there, there's, there's definitely some wiggle room. This actually, this article has made me a lot of money because before reading it, I didn't realize you could just ask for more money and people would sometimes say yes. Mm-hmm. You, that's some, sometimes that's literally all you have to do. Like they say a number and you're like, eh, can I have this much more? And then the, sometimes they'll be like, sure. Yep. And I've been, I've been on both sides of that. If it's a big company, like to you, if you ask for 10,000 more dollars, that will have a huge effect on your life. Mm-hmm. If it's some gigantic company or even like a mid-sized company, that's that's like a rounding error in their budget. Yeah, yeah, not a ton of money. Yeah. And I can tell you there will be conversations on the other side of that question like, hmm, would we pay $10,000 more for this person? And you're like thinking about your overall staff budget, which may be $50 million, you know, and you're like, yeah, let's do that. You know, like that's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. I, I Although... I have had experiences that went the other way where I was interviewing people and trying to find out their salary ranges. And there have been people who just asked for something that I thought was so outside of what their skill set merited sure. that that it was like, well, we're just not really interested anymore. Yeah. And then on the, and so you've been on that side of the table too, where you go, look, do I really want to pay this person more well, than anyone else on my team? I haven't know? been responsible for the budget, but it has been okay. stuff like that. Where like this person would be the highest paid engineer at the company. Yes. Are they worth that? Yes. And I don't think so. It would be weird. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because sometimes there'll be a ripple effect. It's like, well, if I ask for $10,000 more, that might turn into a conversation on the other side of the table where they go, okay, if we do that, we're going to have to give five other people big raises to to make them you know not be outpaced by this new person sure um, and then suddenly it's a big budget item yeah i wasn't see that that reflects a scope i wasn't uh, involved in i was just thinking like are they worth it not what what right, does this right, do to right. the rest of the team but yeah it definitely and, does and in some cases they were in some cases i i was a little a little put off by by it so ask for more, <laughs> not too much more, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you know how much to ask for? Maybe that's a good yes, question. Uh, that is a very good question. And sometimes you have to feel this out by, it's like a chicken and egg problem. You feel it out by getting job offers and seeing where people land. But those job offers are often influenced by numbers that you seeded to them. And so it's like, 
Yeah, it's kind of a vicious cycle. And this leads me to a point that salary can be an intensely private and personal thing. And I don't mean that in the sense of keeping it secret. I mean that salary means, uh, you know, a dollar or a unit of currency means one thing to someone and one thing to someone else. And we've talked about this on the show before. Um, but it'll depend a lot on your needs. You know, like, well, I've got a family or I don't have a family. I have a mortgage or I don't have a mortgage. Or I have a, a yacht that needs payments or I don't have a yacht that needs payments. <laughs> yes. Know? And it's in, like, in your so case, yes. In my case, my yacht is an, it's very expensive <laughs> <laughs> and beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't pay for itself. That Brazilian so, hardwood does not maintain itself. <laughs> let me tell you. Constant scrubbing. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, you know, when I come at a negotiation from my side as like a job seeker and someone else comes at that neg- negotiation, they're coming from very different places. And so the employer wants to know, where are you coming from? What are your needs? And so they'll often ask you the, the question that I think many developers don't want to answer, which is, well, how much are you making now? Yeah, I've seen so much advice that says never be the first person to say a number. And it's often centered around that. Like when they ask you, how much do you make? Then you you like raise your hackles and like stand up and get big like you're trying to scare off a bear. And you just <laughs> shout out, doesn't matter. I would like to make $400,000 and like intimidate your way to, to more money. Which, so how, how, have you ever answered that question? How much do you make? Uh, the first real job I ever got, yes. I was making $12 an hour before that as an hourly employee. And they were like, well, how much, how much are you looking to make? And I said, well, I made $12 an hour. Let's see, times 40 hours a week because I'd be working full time. Times like 50 weeks a year. That's, I think, like $24,000 or something. Like that's, but maybe a little more than that. So would you give me like 40 grand? And um, again, in the Jameson and Dave are so naive theme of the podcast, they kind of laughed at me and said a number higher than that, because that's not, that wasn't <laughs> how much developers, even, even super entry-level developers made. Uh, yep. so I have answered only, it then. This was only five years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't very long ago. Um, and it didn't hurt me because people were nice. But it could have, like, they could have said, all right, we'll pay you $25,000. And then that would haunt you for the rest of your career until a benevolent employer would come along and say, you know what, you're like half underpaid, you know? Or until I had a, a frightening and angering realization. Yeah. Which yeah. again, goes back to your point about being armed with knowledge. If you know generally about how much developers make, even at different companies than you, it'll, it'll correct for things like that, where you make half. I mean, every company has different salary ranges, but, mm-hmm. but you should be able to get an idea of like, this is by far the lowest amount of money that anyone I talk to makes. That's bad. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I could easily wanna... get more than that by just asking for yeah. it. I have a friend who's been working for about 15 years and uh, he started out uh, at a job in a geography that was not really known for technology. And so as a result, there was not a big job market, which means there was a lot of uh, developers hoping to work there, but not a lot of jobs to take. And as a result, they paid less just generally. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he started a job under market, under what you said even a minute ago. And then uh, he worked there for a couple of years and decided, I want to move to a different city that has a thriving tech sector. And he moved and then he answered the question, how much are you making? And he told them and they were like, sweet, we'll give you a 10% raise and it'll be awesome for you. And But he was still like 20 or 30% under market on his salary. So it followed him. And even to this day, he was just telling me last week, he's like, I'm still plagued by that. 15 years later, I'm still not where I want to be salary wise. Now he's doing fine. Don't get me wrong. But he's low and he thinks he would have been higher had his first job been uh, better pay or if he had handled that situation and asked for more. Yeah, I think maybe the 
the the reason behind why people ask that question is because employers are incentivized to pay you the minimum amount they can possibly pay you to get you to work there. Mm-hmm. And and some people have different personal philosophies. Um, and I have been lucky enough to work with some of those people where they they actually genuinely want to pay people what they're worth. But some yeah. people are just like, I'll pay you a dollar more than you want, and then you'll be happy, and you'll still come <laughs> work here, and it'll save me money. <laughs> yep. Uh, so so what do you do in that case? Well, you because it's an employee's market, you don't have to go work there. <clears throat> I think is the <laughs> the best thing, right? Yeah, right now. Yeah, until the um, inevitable um correction. Yeah, the until the what is it, the Unix timestamp overflow bug that's going <laughs> to destroy the earth. Still a few decades away, but it's coming. <laughs> and then it'll be about who can use their abacus the best, not <laughs> Who can build the, the the best website? I'm an abacus engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, no, I really don't know what to do because I think at the end of the day, there's constraints, and you have to operate within those constraints. But sometimes you don't even know what they are. Um, maybe you could ask the question like, "How do you compensate people? How do you choose people's salaries?" That's a great question to ask as a as an interview candidate. Sure. Like, how and do you decide how much to pay someone? Another thing we haven't talked about is uh, just the role of of confidence in this. Mm-hmm. And this is something I am not great at. I say the word um too much to project an enormous <laughs> amount of confidence. <laughs> but a lot of just negotiation and making more money is just believing that you, you deserve it. And I think that comes from being informed yeah. and knowing what other people are making and what you could make. Yeah, yeah. And then if you just feel like this is what, this is what I like to make and I think I'm worth it, then... Um, people will respond better to that as long as if, it doesn't pass yes, the bounds yes. of good taste, I guess. Yes, good taste. And if you are, if you have actual data, like there's confidence and then there's false confidence, you know, and you're like, I guess, cockiness, you know, and you're like, well, I should make a ton of money because I'm awesome, you know, and then there's, I should make more because the market currently governs this price. And I think that the price should be higher for me. And here's some data points to support that, you know? Yeah. And I've seen people on both sides of that equation. And, and I think honestly, management responds pretty negatively when you just show up and say, well, I want to make this much money. And if you don't have a reason for why it kind of makes you look bad a little bit. Yeah. I, I think the best data point is another job offer for that much money or similar Mm -hmm. amount of money. And that's, that's the strongest negotiating position. I think when you say like, Here's what I like to make, and this other company would pay me that. And yep, that I mean, that's great. Yeah, and and we're in a point where that shouldn't be crazy hard to get. Yeah, but this brings us this opens up a small can of worms that we've dealt with a little bit on a previous episode. Where should you go and fish for an offer that you have no intention of accepting, just for the purpose of holding that in your manager's face to say, "Here's my data point." You talk. This is when you're talking about asking for a raise, uh, not yeah, exactly. getting a different job, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm squarely in the no camp for this. I think, uh, if you're just interviewing for the sole sake of getting an offer so that you can show it to your boss, I think that you are, that's going to hurt you in the long run. Um, you're going to waste the other company's time and those interviewers, and then you're going to look a little bit, uh, let's say unloyal to your current employer. Um, but, you know, if you if you show up and say, I want to raise and I have data points to support that I'm worth this much, that's different than saying, I got this job offer and I'm going to take it unless you pay me more. I, I think maybe most people aren't quite on the end of the spectrum where they're just like sociopaths that have 
no intention of ever joining this other company. They just yeah. interview there to, to use them as a stick to beat their current company up. I, I've seen this happen a fair amount of times where people have genuinely interviewed, been interested, and then they go back to tell their company they're leaving. And the other company's like, wait a minute, like you're worth this much to stay. And then people change their minds. I think that's totally fair. I don't think, Yeah. I mean, com loyalty to a company is good, but companies will take advantage of that loyalty to your detriment mm -hmm. a lot of the that's time. That's true. So I, I don't think you have any special duty to like not ask for more money or, or not no, no, see yeah. if there's somewhere better somewhere else. I agree. I agree. Uh, I love Dwight Schrute from The Office. He says, I am a loyal employee and I will work wherever loyalty is valued the most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it. Um, so I want to tell one story of how I accidentally got a raise that again reflects Jameson is naive. He works in a magical <laughs> world where people are nice. Um, at, a, at a job, I had been there a few years and I was already making what I would consider to be pretty good money. Um, it wasn't outrageous. It wasn't bad. It, it felt, I, I was pretty happy with what I made, but I bought a house and this looming mortgage just like over my head for 30 years. It wasn't a super expensive house. It wasn't a house I couldn't afford. It was just this fact that now you have to pay this forever. Uh, it just started stressing me out. So I was planning on doing some contract work on the side to just earn a little more money and, and save some more money. Mm -hmm. And I went to talk to my boss about it just to make sure like, hey, this isn't gonna affect my work performance, but I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. Like, are you, are you okay with this? And he was like, uh, why don't I just pay you more money to have you not do that? <laughs> and, and then you don't have to work outside of work. You just work during work and make So money. you didn't even have to go get an offer. You just said, I'm thinking about contracting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that worked out. It achieved the aims I meant to achieve, but it definitely didn't start as a traditional, I feel like I deserve more money. Here's, here are all the data points about it. Um, that was just because I, I worked with someone who was generous and, and mm -hmm. yeah. Do you have any stories about um, going in to ask for a raise, Dave? Yeah, uh, I, I do. And I spent a, f a fair bit of time at a medium-sized company of about 700 people that got bought by a large company of like 70,000 people or something. And it was a very stark difference in how that would operate. Like when I was when it was a smaller company, I could go in and say, I actually did go in a couple times and say, I want to raise. And they would say, okay, we'll think about it. And then they would, they delivered it, you know, like a couple months later or something, they'd be like, all right, here's the raise you asked for. We think you're worth it. And here it is. And then after we got acquired by that bigger company, the policies just got so much stricter. And it, I could tell that it was a side effect of having had so many people in the company that occasionally people abused the system. So instead of punishing the people who abused the system, they locked down the system. You know, and mm -hmm. it was like, no, we don't give raises out of cycle and we only give raises up to X percent. And that is absolutely non-negotiable. Hmm. And so I think it depends a lot on your employer and the policies that are in place there. Yep. And, and how much of a jerk pe prior people have been. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some places will have regular raises. Some places will just never pay you more money unless you ask for it. Yep. Um, so I Question guess, answered? Well, no. To, let's summarize. Do you want to give <laughs> okay. us a summary of what we talked about? Oh, I suck at the summaries. How about you do it? <laughs> okay, I'll try. So you can ask for more money Yep. most of the time. <laughs> it's easier to ask for more money if you have 
information, both about what other people in similar situations are making, and especially if you have competing job offers. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's the strongest way to ask for a raise. Yep. Uh, if you ask for too much, it might be harmful to that job yep. offer or that that employment. Uh, but I think asking for a reasonable amount will never be harmful. And if it is, then you probably don't want to work there anyways. Yeah, probably not. And then I will say this, from my experience doing these negotiations, um, it's very rare that you can have a lot of back and forth. Like, you know, when you're buying a house, sometimes you can make an offer, counter offer, offer, counter offer, okay, deal, right? With salary negotiations, it's more like offer, counter offer, done. You know, you kind of don't have a lot of shots to like narrow in on a, on a price you can agree on. Yep. Um, usually it's like one and done. Here's my paper offer. I make one, you know, the employer gives me a paper offer. I turn around and say, I want this. And then they either say yes or no. And that's like the end of the negotiation. I've never seen it go like back and forth, except for like very specialized senior positions. Yeah, that's that's been my experience, both in uh, offers to me and also ones that I've participated in hiring other people. Good point. There's probably a ton more we could say about this, but there is. Just, uh, I'll, I'll include the link to this blog post in the show notes. Um, it's really good, and it, it has some different perspectives from what we said. Mm -hmm. Great. Do you want to ask our or read our second question? Yes. This question is: How do you deal constructively with a boss who is well-intentioned, reasonably nice, and intelligent, but incompetent, oblivious, and who has minimal to no oversight on their work performance? That sounds like my dream job. <laughs> I want to be incompetent, oblivious, and have no oversight. Just chill. And nice and well-intentioned. Yeah. yeah, that's probably me. <laughs> um, okay, so have you heard of the null hypothesis in like the scientific method or statistics or things like that? I've heard the word used when smart people are arguing about something and then I always forget what it is. <laughs> uh, I'm going to butcher the definition, but it's basically like assume that that like the default is happening or is true or something like that. I, I'm going to say that this boss to me sounds like the null boss. They don't sound actively bad or actively harmful or evil. It sounds like they're kind of just a blob. They sit there. They don't do great things. They don't do bad things. And it could be so much worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> That, that does not sound that horrible to me, honestly. Um, you could have a boss that actively dislikes you or plays political games or mm, yeah. or, or is is like cracking the whip about deadlines or, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are plenty of bad things that a boss can do to harm you. So the fact that they're just, to me, it sounds like they're not doing good things. That's, I mean, it could be better, but it, in the grand scale of, of bosses, this doesn't sound horrible. Yeah, so I think I think the core problem here might be an expectations mismatch where uh, you expected a boss to be like an awesome mentor, uh, someone to guide you and hold your hand through things. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. Uh, I mean that in the most pandering way possible. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, like, you know, maybe you expected to have a boss. And I expected this when I got out of college, started my first job. I expected my boss to be this like inspirational figure in my life who could guide me and show me all these things to do and open my eyes to the world of software development. And I have literally never had that in mm. 15 years. Um, instead, I would say that my bosses have been, for better, pretty hands-off with me, and they've let me sink or swim on my own. Um, and very rarely have I ever thought, oh, my boss is actually harming me right now. Yeah. Another thing is um, 
sometimes a lot of what your boss does doesn't involve you. They have they have a lot of stuff to do, and uh, sometimes it can be hard to to look at your interactions with them and just assume that's this is their only responsibility and they're mm-hmm. not doing it great, so they're not they're not a good boss. But I, I would wager that there are a lot of things going on besides just your interactions with them. That I mean, do, do you know what their job involves and what their responsibilities are and what they're doing to fulfill those? That is a very good question. Like uh, a, a large part of managing in some organizations is is like uh, air quotes managing up, right? Where you kind of sure. communicate expectations to the to the people that are in charge of you, and then you kind of protect your team from stuff that comes down from the the higher ups, and so it's kind of like a shield almost. Yes. And so in that case, your role is to to stop information right you're you're protecting and and that's hard to see working under a boss like that you don't see all the meetings that they don't call you into or or the hard phone calls or the you know yeah and and they this boss could very well not be doing any of that they could be terrible at their job but the the point is there could be a lot of stuff going on that you aren't aware of the best boss i ever had uh used a term to describe himself and I want, I know this is a family friendly show, so I'm going (laughs) to modify the term a little bit, (laughs) but he called himself a crap umbrella Uh and his, he felt like his main duty was to stand up and prevent the rest of the organization from raining crap down on his team. And so he was constantly in meetings with other organizations and with his own higher ups and just deflecting garbage, like, you know, mandated process changes and organizational changes and other things. He would just deflect them or, um, or modify them or negotiate them so that they would be attractive when they finally got down to us. Um, and he did a wonderful job and paid a huge personal price to do that. Now, this was a big company. So there's going to be, you know, a certain amount of dysfunction that comes along with an organization that size. But boy, he did a fantastic job. And even though I worked for a large company, I felt like I worked for a small, nimble, fun, and energetic startup. Interesting. That's really cool. But he did, never did, did managed you, me. Did you know that, though? It, it took me a couple of years before I realized it. And then he started telling me about some of the stuff because I started asking. And it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a lot, I think a lot of this comes from the the developer lore that stems from like the pointy-haired boss in Dilbert where mm-hmm. uh, managers are clueless, they're useless, they're dead weight. And I actually thought that for a while. I, I actually uh, lobbied to change the company culture in a, or the company structure in a place where I work to a flat culture purely because I was like, I'm smart. No one can tell me what to do. And, <laughs> and it took me a while to learn that uh, good managers actually can be a huge benefit even if I didn't directly see what they were doing. Um, Absolutely. I feel like, okay, I feel like I'm I'm taking the boss's side too much. Let's, yeah, I was just thinking that. The... Let's, let's flip the table now. Yep. And let's say that maybe this boss really is incompetent and bad. How do you remedy that situation? Um, one thing you can do is... It's not super helpful in the current situation, but it can help for later, which is you can learn from both positive examples, like the the wise, awesome mentor figure that you talked about wanting, but you can also learn from negative examples. Um, if you just kind of look at mm. things that the boss is doing and you notice that they have a, a negative effect on your work or on the team's yeah. work, yeah. Um, that can just be a little thing you file away. Like, don't, yeah. don't do that. 
and that's and a really good idea. Maybe think about what you would do instead if you were in that case. So it's kind of like using it as as practice or to learn. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you can in even in the worst situation, you can learn a lot. I think. Yep. Um, I think the next thing I would do is I would make a list. What do I expect from my boss? I'd write them down. And then for each item on that list, let's say I come up with five things. I would write, then write down next to them, do, is this something I'm willing to talk to my boss about and actually ask them to change um, if they're not meeting that expectation? Actually, that's the implied second question is, are they actually doing these things? Um, and then for the ones that they aren't, you've got to ask yourself, am I willing to talk to them? And if you are, and I think in many cases, you probably should be because having an expectations management session with someone is a great way to establish a working relationship that is highly functional. And so I would then take that, that list to my boss and say, I have expectations for my boss and I want to talk with you about them to see if they're reasonable expectations. Um, and then I would sit down, read them all out to them and say, here you go. What do you think? Are these reasonable? And are these roles you'd be willing to fill? Um, and let your boss speak for him or herself. Don't just assume that they're incompetent. Maybe your boss goes, oh, there's someone else in the organization that's supposed to do that. And they're not. I'll follow up and make sure that they're doing that for you. Or they might say, yeah, you're right. I've been neglectful in my duties here and I'm, I'm going to fix it. But they can't fix it if you can't tell them. Sure. Well, that's not strictly true. They could probably fix it. <laughs> but, you know, it can certainly help. Yeah. Um, of course, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but if one of your expectations is that they should be smart and competent, yeah, <laughs> that's not really specific enough. You know, you need to like <laughs> go a little more detailed. Well, I was going to say also if uh, that the way that you described responding to feedback is the way I think a good boss would respond to feedback. <laughs> That's a but, good point. But if they're not, right, if they like get upset at you or feel like you're in, encroaching on their territory or, or playing some games with them or trying to get them in trouble or something, uh, that's that's going to be tricky. You you won't be able to tell them, hey, I wish you did this better if, if mm -hmm. that makes them mad at you or... I don't know. Yeah, no, it's true. And and there is there is a line, right? I mean, there's only so much you can do, but I think you owe it to them to tell them your expectations. And then the ball's in their court. If they choose to reject that, then that's on them. But you have to at least give them a chance, I think. Yeah. While we were talking about this question before the show, Dave, you also brought up something about how um, they may not be just, they, they just might not be an experienced manager of, of software people or of oh, a yeah. software organization. Yeah, yeah. You want to talk more about that? Yeah, sure. Not all software developer jobs are for companies that are optimized for software development. Like Google clearly is a company whose main purpose is to make an environment where software developers can create software product. But there's a lot of companies where software developers work and are happily employed, but they are not the companies are not optimized for software development. They are optimized for some other thing, and software development is an auxiliary function to support that other thing. You know, like let's say you're a marketing firm and you have software developers who help build things to help the marketing stuff, but they aren't actually the core product that's being sold. Well, your whole company structure is not going to be set up for those developers, right? And, you know, maybe you're an agency who constantly starts projects over and, and you don't really have long-term mentorship for software developers um, because you're contracting people out. Um, and, and the list goes on and on. And so if you're expecting a Google-like culture where software developers are the beginning and end of the whole company, um, you might be disappointed when you go to work for a company that's not like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think 
I guess you already kind of talked about this, but one one approach you could take is demonstrating. I mean, clearly, there's some things that you would like this person to do differently to make you happier. Um, I think if you can approach it in a way that will make their lives better, that might mm-hmm. be a good way to sell it to them. Like when you talk about people who are um, who, whose main responsibility is to manage software developers or software development, I, I think they're used to sitting down and thinking, what can I do to improve things and to make my team more efficient and make things better? Um, and And if you can ask those questions yourself and then sell them as benefits to this to this boss that might be easier than just say like it really bothers me when you chew with your mouth open or mm-hmm. uh or when you when you come tap on my shoulder it makes me angry or something like if you say yeah when like a better way to work would be this because that'll help me get more stuff done and i'll work faster yeah. and and yeah, we'll yeah. be able to ship more things and you, focusing you kinda, on outcomes i think yeah you have to do a little bit of sales maybe if if you're not dealing with someone who will see the benefits um kind of implicitly Everything we've said so far assumes one thing, and I'm going to keep making this assumption for my next statement, and that is that your boss is not engaging in illegal or super harmful activities like sexual harassment or discrimination or stalking you at night or something. Um, So let's just put that aside because to deal with that, I just, it's totally different. Um, But let, I think one thing under no circumstances should you ever engage in gossip about this boss. Uh, the last thing you want to do is start talking about them behind their back and saying all, a bunch of negative stuff about them to your peers. Um, this has a poisoning effect on teams, and it will be the last thing you want to do if you actually want the situation to improve. And then, especially if the boss finds out that you have been poisoning the well, so to speak, about them, they'll be much less likely to uh, engage with you and work on the situation. In fact, they might just be so upset with you that they would be even less uh, involved in, in your work. They might just completely pull away. Hmm. So, I've definitely done that before, actually. Yeah, I think we all have. I, I've done it too. It's, but it can be so detrimental. I mean, sometimes you just need to vent, though, right? If you're so that's right, fed and up you've and got frustrated. to find someone off the team or maybe a friend or somewhere else. You, you just can't vent like that to your teammates. Or maybe you have a, a mentor who has promised you confidentiality at the company and that that's part of their job, then, then maybe, or maybe an HR person or something, but, but oh, oh. yeah, uh, nope, not <laughs> no, to them. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, they that's another episode, but probably not to them. Okay. Bad idea. Um, but when I want to vent, I have people in my life that are not at work that I vent to, not my coworkers. I don't know. I feel like I've fomented rebellion before and then it's made my life better. <laughs> Probably not not the classiest or most mature way to handle things, but did it result in someone being terminated? Uh yes. And yeah, it, it Did it you does, feel bad about the way it went down? I definitely feel bad about it, but it it solved my problem. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you're taking yeah. a very like authority. You're, you're kind of siding with authority I'm, on this one I'm, where you're saying I'm it'll pretty, always be bad. I, I, well, that's good. I mean, maybe I am, maybe I'm being a little bit too extreme, but um, it has potential for being so bad so often that I avoid it as a matter of course. Yeah, that's fair. Well, um, on that awesome note. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to say one more thing, I think. that I don't want to end in conflict, Dave. Um, 
Okay, how about this? Um, I've got a, I've got a thought on it. Mm-hmm. I was just reviewing my notes here. So I spent a good probably 10 years as a software developer thinking that management only had one job, and that was to pamper me. And I thought they know nothing about my job. They couldn't possibly understand my work or me. Their job is just to make sure I'm comfortable. Um, and I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about what could I do to make their job better? And um, when it comes to management, I think that's a pretty common mentality. We don't think of it as a two-way street. Like my manager should know everything and should do all the things I need. And then they don't have needs, <laughs> you know? Um, but if you can do things to try to make your manager's job easier or nicer um, or give them things that you know they want, uh, I think that that can help the relationship. And you might be surprised to find that when uh, they open up to you or become a little bit more, um, let's say, competent suddenly or less oblivious because you're giving them some of their needs. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I think that is kind of what I was trying to say earlier. Like say a thing you dislike is your manager emails you twice a day to ask for like a status report. It's really annoying, it bugs you, it interrupts you. Um, Maybe the reason they're doing that is because someone is just breathing down their neck and like really anxious to find out what's going on in their project. And the way they try and do that is to just ask you if you can un- identify the underlying need, like like you kind of said, Dave, then there might be an easier way to resolve that that'll still help yeah. them, but be less intrusive for you. Could be. Cool. It's and a hard, if, it's if a hard of, one to answer. If none of those works, the default answer to any of these questions is always quit and get a different job. Just assume like, that that, that is implied in every answer we give. <laughs> You can always which find we a can, different job. Which we can say because it's such an employee's market yep. right now. Until that changes. And then <laughs> And and that is that is, I think, the last resort. And if you find you just can't work with this boss anymore, then you can leave. Yep. And that kind of sucks, but so be it. Maybe not. Meantime, Maybe it'll right. give you an opportunity to negotiate and Maybe. obtain a higher salary. Oh by listening to our handy tips together. in the first question. Oh man, it's like we planned that. Yep. Question sort of answered. Done, done. <laughs> Great. Well, Dave, how can people find out more about us? The best way to find out more is to visit our Twitter page at SoftSkillsENG. Follow us there. Send us a direct message if you have a question that you'd like us to answer, and we would love to hear from you. Yep. Oh, and subscribe on iTunes or Pocket Casts or wherever it is that you consume your podcast. Make sure to subscribe. Please You probably do. already did since you're listening to this, but... <laughs> But don't unsubscribe, please. Um, but if you are listening and you're enjoying it, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. You can mark one, two, three, four, or five stars at your option. And then write a little blurb to tell us how we're doing. Oh, that reminds me. We didn't even talk about anchoring at all. What's that? Uh, this is where if you just oh. say a number, it skews yes. any numbers after that towards it. So if you walk, supposedly, you, you like kick the door open, walk in and say, there are a million mosquitoes outside today. And then you sit down to talk about salary. The offers will be higher than if you didn't say that. Or if you said, I saw one (laughs) cat the other day or something like that. Um, So you missed an opportunity to use anchoring there to bias the ratings. If you had said, uh, there are billions, trillions, uncountable numbers of stars in the sky, but the iTunes ratings only go up to five. So just pick whatever number you think is good. Oh my gosh. Or you could just hire a mentalist to do all of the (laughs) negotiating for you. You know, thousands of people just tuned out when we said, how can people learn more about the show? And they missed this gem. I will edit it. I'll make it twice as loud. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, with that, 
Uh, I'm skeptical if that actually works or not, but <laughs> I read it in a pop psychology book, so it must be true. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell told a good story about it, so I, I have faith. It must be true. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. See ya. <laughs>